Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Injured at work in a motor vehicle accident or had a fall in a public space? Speak to Your Claim Lawyers, a no-win, no-fee, personal injury claims law firm that specialises in maximising compensation claims for injured people. Call 1-800-YOUR-CLAIM or yourclaimlawyers.com.au. On 882-6PR, inspiring stories for Barra and O'Day, WA's family-owned funeral directors. Hello, my name is Tim McMillan. Welcome to another episode of Inspiring Stories, brought to you by Bower and O'Day, doing ordinary things extraordinarily well. Uh, in this episode, we are going to meet a man who has worn many, many hats over the years, uh, particularly well-known in sporting circles. He's been a footballer of some repute, a champion player, a champion coach, uh, a champion administrator and representative, uh, and in more recent times has uh, turned his hand uh, to matters uh, quite away from sport uh, as uh, the chair of a uh, meth task force here in Western Australia. So it's with great pleasure I say welcome to Ron Alexander. Tim, hello. Thanks for being with us. Yeah, pleasure. I don't quite know where to start. Let's just go in chronological order. Tell us about your childhood, Ron. Oh, well, I had a uh, great childhood, brought up in uh, 28 Vincent Street, uh, Mount Lawley. So yep. uh, Inner city boy living near Hyde Park and currently living on the other side of Hyde Park now, so I haven't moved You've far kept in life. Local. But uh, you could just about kick a, a, a decent torpedo from one house to the other, probably. Well, about eight hundred metres away. But, yeah, right. Uh, That's a few, decent. A few spots yeah. in between. Yeah. Uh, there, but uh, no, I had a great, uh, great childhood. Grew up uh, barrack in for East Perth, and yep. mother and father were uh, were fabulous. Couldn't have been better. So I was uh, I was very privileged in in that sense. Um, my mother wasn't too happy with me when I wanted to leave school at 15. She'd been ducks of every class she'd been in mm. and had been made to go to, mm. to work when she was 15. And uh, the ungrateful son then decided he wanted to leave at 15. So, Why did you uh, want to leave at 15? I was just bored by it. I hated teachers repeating what they were, they were teaching. and You heard it the first time and I hated doing homework. I had too much energy to play and do other things. And um, so I I just had enough of school and uh, one big blow up one night where I refused to go to school the next day and my mother after lots it. of crying and that and I said well and she said well look uh, if you find a job well uh, you can leave which and I did. What did you do? I uh, worked for the transport commission and uh, my first job was riding a bike collecting the mail and doing the doing the records and yep. uh, that was that was it and my first boss. Huey Buxton was uh, one of the rats of Tobruk. So is that right? I learned a lot from him. We just uh, lost uh, one of our last remaining rats of Tobruk yeah, uh, in recent that. days. So, uh, yeah, at the ripe old age of about 100, I think, in Western Australia. But, uh, yeah, all right, so you left school. You're doing this job. But obviously uh, football is, uh, is a burning passion for you. Uh, you're a, a fan of East Perth growing up, and, and you ended up pulling on the jumper. Yeah, well, I'm, I think I was just competitive. I never mm. actually thought about playing uh, league football and I, I went through uh, my juniors as a relatively small player at my sister's really uh, yeah at 15 at my sister's 21st birthday I was at her shoulder 
So I used to have to bite and fight and scratch for everything I got. But what were you eating after that then? Well, I, I, I really grew at 16 so much so that I had yeah. knee pains, groin pains. But, yeah, right. Uh, when you have to fight and bite and scratch for everything you got when you're a little fella, and then you grow to be six foot five and you still can bite and fight and scratch, it's actually pretty handy. Yeah. Well, because you went on to you know play waffle footy and then VFL footy as uh, as a ruckman. Uh, what 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 height did you did you reach six five? What's that about one hundred and ninety six? Exactly one hundred and ninety six, yeah. which is a quarter inch short of uh, of six foot five, but. Look, I, I I did it the long way. I played yeah. a season of. I didn't win a trophy in juniors at all. Yeah. First trophy I ever won was East Perth fourths for most improved, and played <laughs> a full year of fourths, a full year of Colts, a full year of reserves, a full year of league up and back to reserves, and yep. then uh, did okay after that. So, of course, you know you did go in to become the uh, inaugural West Coast Eagles coach, which we'll, we'll get to in time. Um, but uh, ninety eight games you played. For East Perth, you had a had a bit of success there as a as a team and individually. Yes, well, Mel Brown was my first coach, so yep. uh, he was a pretty entertaining uh, coach. And uh, back then, I'm, uh, I'm, I bet he was very entertaining, <laughs> very bright. So I yep. learned a lot from Mel of what to do and what not to do. Uh, but he was uh, he was pretty generous. And what sort of a coach was he? Oh, look, he was pretty smart. Yeah, um, he uh, he was pretty aggressive. Uh, I imagine if some of the half-time rev-ups would have been pretty entertaining yeah, in hindsight. Look, I I like to think I was a bit self-contained, and I'm one of those people who have learnt something every day and yep. still learning. Um, but if you learn something every day, you're a, you're a real chance, I like to mm. think, to, to get somewhere. Yep. I learned a lot from Mel. Uh, as I said, some of the things of what not to do. Uh, but nevertheless, he was uh, he was good. He was clever. I enjoyed East Perth. They were, they were good to me. We... Uh, we won a grand final in '72, yep. um, the, uh, the the second year that uh, that I played. Um, you know, captain East Perth in in '75, and, and and loved that. Yep. And actually, never really wanted to go to Melbourne. Mm. My wife and I married uh, young. We had uh, two daughters, loving loving Perth. Yep. And so uh, when the the Vicks come calling, we really didn't want to go. So we yeah. we set a number. That would make them go away. Yeah, and after they a, didn't. After a couple of weeks, they come back and said yes. Which, well, you did win the uh, the the club best and fairest in nineteen seventy four. So that, I'm sure that very much put you on the radar of uh, the bigger clubs uh, in the east. Can I ask when you're playing footy for East Perth? Because you know times have changed a bit since then and now, haven't they? But uh, were you still working the, the, the same sort of job? Yes. Yeah. While, whilst yeah, playing footy. Yeah. Full time. Uh, Full time job. Yeah. And uh, young father and uh, and husband, yep. but uh, loved it. I I wouldn't have it any other way. Mm. Really enjoyed it. And uh, I can remember my uh, conditions were four dollars for a loss and twenty five dollars for a win. Is that right? And uh, I just enjoyed playing. Yeah. And it was only when I got a game for the state and won a fairest and best that I suddenly thought, oh. You know, uh, maybe I'm all right. At maybe this. I'm all right, and yeah. did my own contract negotiations, and there's a whole backstory to that which I won't go into. <laughs> but uh, that's how it was. What yeah. What was twenty five dollars worth back then? What could you buy for twenty five bucks in, in oh, 1974? Well, I think my first wage when riding the bike was thirty six bucks a week. So yeah, yeah, that is ancient. That so wasn't now. too bad. No, it wasn't. Too yeah, bad. bit of extra pocket money. It was good. Uh, $4, of course, for the loss uh, and a bit of a kick up the bum from Mel Brown. Well, that was it. I think the guys uh, taking the uh, the money for car parking were getting paid more than some yeah. of the players. Uh, now, from East Perth, uh, you get the call-up from Fitzroy. 
Um, I'll, I'll get to the demise of Fitzroy later, but to talk us through how that came about. Was it a phone call? Did they send someone over to see you and talk to you and uh, and, and convince you that moving over to Melbourne was the, the right move for you? Yeah, well, they, uh, a number of clubs were, were chatting to us, but Fitzroy were uh, were pretty keen. And yep. Graeme Donaldson was their coach and Bruce Wilkinson was their, their general manager and they came over to see us. Uh, they flew us over to uh, the 74 grand final, which was... Uh, was great for a, a young West Australian to, yeah. to go and see, and that was uh, that was all very nice. Um, but nevertheless, Marilyn and I weren't that interested in going. Did Did you have anyone over there that you knew, or any family or friends? Well, Marilyn had come over from Melbourne when she was twelve with her father, right. who who had a job over here, and so Marilyn had some aunties and that over there. But I didn't have any relations, and so yeah. when we finally did go, we didn't we didn't have much support, but but still loved it. Yeah, you know, it, it was uh, it was good. And as I said earlier, we uh, we eventually set them a contract number, and as a young family, they come back with a yes, which basically meant we had to go. Yeah, and went over there initially for three years and stayed for six, and yep. absolutely loved it. It, it, it must have been a, an interesting time to be part of uh, that footy culture in in Melbourne, though, when you all had your local grounds. Uh, I mean, you look at the geography of Melbourne; a lot of those suburbs, you know, Richmond, Collingwood, uh, Fitzroy. North Melbourne, they're all virtually neighbouring suburbs, aren't they? There's yeah. a the, the, the sort of territorial uh, tribalism amongst footy fans back then. It must have been a really great experience for you to be a part of that. The And playing at Victoria Park yeah. was an experience uh, in itself. And yeah. So all those suburban grounds and the passion were was absolutely real. Mm. And, uh, you know, the Fitzroy uh, supporters loved it because we actually got a bit of success yep. during that period of time. and. What was it? Seventy nine. We made the first uh, final series for sixteen years. Yeah, and they just couldn't believe it. Yeah, and uh, that was a great time. And the supporters were yeah. enjoying it, and we had some very good players in uh, people like Bernie Quinlan and uh, Gary Wilson and Harvey mm. Merrigan, and a, a series of you know really good mm. Victorian representatives. You had to pull on the, the the Victorian jumper though, didn't you, for a couple of state games? Yeah, that was. Does, that, that, does it still sting that you had to pull that on, Ron? Well, you, you actually felt like you were betraying something. Well, yeah, that's what I mean. Um, yeah, well, it certainly <laughs> felt like that because the Vicks had come over here and they'd have Barry Cable and Graham Moss and Graham Farmer playing for them. Yeah, and beat us by seven points at Subiaco Oval, and you'd hate them for it. Yeah, and they were. They had Barry Robram from South Australia and others from Tasmania, and I think they were pretty good until State of Origin came along. Yeah, but uh, yeah, pulling on the jumper was. Um, to some degree, a measure of how you were going, so that that was that was good. Yeah. Um, anyway, I did it, so I've, I've, uh, <laughs> I've reconciled sort of with that. <laughs> as long as you can sleep at night, Ron. <laughs> um, I want to talk to you about uh, your post playing days because you went on to become um, the president of the VFL, then Players Association, uh, a role that has really you know, come along to be a, a, quite a prominent one, hasn't it, uh, in recent years. I'm keen to get your thoughts on that, but we do need to take a break. Ron Alexander is our special guest. You're listening to WA's Inspiring Stories here on 882 6PR. You're listening to Inspiring Stories for Barra and O'Day, generations of excellence since 1888. This is Inspiring Stories with Tim McMillan on 882 6PR. Brought to you by Barra and O'Day. 
Welcome back. Ron Alexander is our special guest. We've just uh, finished up on your playing days uh, at Fitzroy uh, in Melbourne, Ron. Um, a, a stint, a six-year stint that brought you uh, two years as captain, a club champion uh, award as well. Uh, when you got to the end of that, was it tempting to just jump on the first plane and, and come back to Perth? Uh, obviously you didn't, but was that an option that you explored? Well, look... I'd had a not such a great year in in eighty and in eighty one, um, I won Fitzroy's fairest and best, and yeah. my teammate uh, Bernie Quinlan, he won the Brownlow. Then. He won the Brownlow. You beat him in the in the club. I beat him award. by nine votes and played one game less in uh, in the season. Go figure. Mind you, there was a five thousand dollar prize for a fairest and best at Fitzroy, and they gave him half of it. And what? I wouldn't have minded half his Brownlow medal. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, there should be a footnote in the uh, in the Brownlow records. But there about I was that. I was ready to come back, and <laughs> yeah. my father wasn't well back yep. here in Perth, and that was really the uh, the reason we came back. We we liked Melbourne so much, we were thinking of staying, mm. but that that tipped it up, and uh, we we came back to Perth. Uh, yep. I got offered the uh, Eastern Mantle coaching job as well as yep. the Perth coaching job, and then uh, then coached at Eastern Mantle and loved it. Yeah, great club and. And great people. Yeah. Uh, tell me about your time, though, as the president of the VFL Players Association. Uh, you took over from uh, Don Scott, who's yep. a, a huge name, huge Don, figure in the game. Don Don recruited me to yep. uh, to the board, and I learned a lot from Don. Uh, he certainly it, doesn't it, lack in passion. Uh, no, and, no. Uh, he was one of the people that saved the Hawthorne Football Club yeah. when, they were, when they were going under. Yeah. But uh, I became president yep. and uh, enjoyed that in a time when – the VFL didn't really want a players association mm. and at one stage refused to recognise the players association yeah. because we wanted more money for playing on a Sunday and you'd be asked to go to Sydney and play against Richmond for four points and take the day off and, you know, you'd lose money from your, your employer mm. and you had all those sorts of things. Um, but it was a good learning experience for a, a young fella too to be meeting with the head of the AFL and the CEO of the AFL. I met with Billy Snedden who then was the, uh, the treasurer, flew to Canberra because we wanted... Uh, player salaries to be averaged over five years, like mm. farmers were. Mm. Uh, that didn't work, but we had to go at that. Mm. Um, learned to be humble after giving all the player reps a serve uh, for not attending a meeting at an inner-city hotel and organised it for the following week. And then got a call from Michael Moncrief, the Hawthorne rep, uh, on the night of the meeting. Ron, where are you? I'd forgotten and went home. <laughs> so in later years, when someone made a mistake, I... Could Just find my way to forgive for them. <laughs> <laughs> Only once, though. Only once. <laughs> so, was that your your first taste of of being more in the the administrative side of things? Because obviously, uh, you've spent a lot of time in years, you know, since then, uh, off the field, but still involved yeah. in, in that. Well, kind I, of I did have a do, uh, have a day job where I was learning yeah. about administration and working with people and communications and finance and yep. and all of that. But also, leading, firstly, being in the organisation as a board member was a good learning experience for me. Yep. And then being president was, again, a good learning experience because I'd have to fly to the Gold Coast and address the 12 presidents um, about what the players were looking for. And that eventually, when we'd, we'd collected enough members from the clubs, and um, at one stage uh, we'd threatened to go on strike because they decided not to recognise us. Yep. And uh, so Simon Madden and I and uh, the other members had a, had a chat and Fitzroy and uh, Essendon decided to go on strike, and then uh, they uh, they caved in. Yeah. But not before uh, our president ordered the, that we couldn't hold a meeting in the Fitzroy gym, and we'd have to hold it across the road. And when <laughs> he left, I said to our uh, centre-half back, can you just hold the door closed? And we got on with the meeting. And 
So it wasn't without a bit of uh, aggravation. Yeah. But uh, eventually, uh, the VFL stroke AFL recognised the value of, of player mm. welfare. And also, you know, you had another employer. You couldn't mm. just be yep. taking time off. I suppose it's, and it's transitioned uh, exactly. so much since, hasn't it? Yeah, well, it was a transitional time. Yeah, I bet. For the, for the Western Australian competition, the VFL yep. competition, some clubs in um, WA were technically insolvent, Melbourne, Fitzroy, others yep. were technically insolvent. So there's a whole backstory mm. to why an Eagles come into uh, mm. Bean and all of those sorts of yep. things, which has never really been told. Well, let's talk about it now, Ron, because uh, you just mentioned then that you came back in uh, mid-80s we're talking about here. You've uh, you've spent a few years at East Fremantle. What a, a great honour to be called up to, to be the inaugural West Coast Eagles coach. Yes, well, it was uh, an interesting time because a lot of WA clubs kept themselves afloat by selling players to Victoria. Mm. Ron Alexander in 76 at East Perth and Gary Malarkey, 77 at East Perth, Ross Glendinning, 79, Peter Wilson, 80, uh, Phil Kelly um, the year after that, um, and they were staying afloat. And mm. Melbourne clubs then were struggling to pay it. So Fitzroy, Melbourne and those were struggling. So so something something had to change. And uh, no one in Melbourne really wanted a West Australian side in it, yep. but they wanted the $400,000 a year for 10 years that was going to come yep. to help them. Yep. And in fact, on the night of the vote with Ross Oakley, the, the then VFL uh, chair, he rang Richard Collis, who was going to head up this new uh, organisation, to say, yep. look, unless you pay the um, the four million up front, rather than four hundred over ten years, there's not going to we won't get the the eight four vote. And in fact, uh, uh, they gave Fitzroy six hundred thousand dollars to get their vote. Otherwise, uh, there wouldn't have been on, an, on top of the the four mil. No, or, no, they a, they got out of they front. got out of the, yeah. the, the four mil initially. So. All those shenanigans were going on. Wow. Deals. Yeah. Deals but, galore everywhere. But uh, certainly uh, it was good opportunity to, to coach yeah. West Coast. Uh, um, I'd done a, um, a human movement degree when I went to uh, to Melbourne and took the chance to go back to university, mm. uh, which my dear departed mother had wanted me to do. So she got, she got her way in the end. Well, I didn't feel too good about that because she wasn't around. Um, yeah. But uh, uh, that, that was... Uh, a good opportunity, yeah. and uh, yeah. certainly uh, what I'd learned both from the Mel Browns and all my my other coaches, and also yep. in my university studies, yep. was very helpful. We mm. we uh, we employed sports psychologists, we employed medicos who would be out on the ground, and you couldn't come back into the main squad until you were able to run your mm. uh, the times that you could do in pre season. So we we had a uh, um, a very professional organisation yep. going, and we had yep. a very good group of players. Yeah. Did you feel like your stint as coach at West Coast uh, came to an end abruptly or, or prematurely? Well, look, I wasn't planning on uh, yeah being sacked. I hadn't been sacked from anything. <laughs> did you Did you sense it coming though? <clears throat> no, not at all. It was a complete surprise to me because what had happened is uh, Richard Collis, who the chairman, he'd he'd got sacked by Neil Hamilton in uh, about a month before the season finished, mm. and he was a part of. Uh, um, Robert Armstrong Jones and uh, the two principals, Robert Armstrong Jones and Richard Collis, had got Neil Hamilton into the business, and he'd done an aggressive takeover of uh, Armstrong Jones. And because he was uh, Richard Collis was the the chief shareholder, um, he then be, uh, became head of the company. Yep. So he wanted to be uh, Eagles president. So he sacked Richard, and two weeks later sacked uh, John Walker, the CEO, before the season finished, and then. Uh, Two weeks after the season and after the first and best at uh, 
um, Steve's hotel, uh, sacked me. Yeah. And so Richard Collis's view of it, it was uh, like a corporate takeover. That, yeah. Uh, they got rid of the previous CEO. A total group. regime change. Yeah. So that yeah. wasn't a, a good experience. And we'd yeah. won 11 games out of 11 and yeah. beaten Hawthorne twice, who were the previous premiers, and we beat Carlton, who were the, the premiers. So Which for a first season. And lost is, three games by uh, pretty a goal or less. And mm. we'd won one of those, we would have gone into the, uh, mm. the finals. Yeah. Uh, fast forward uh, a little way from there. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm flicking through the years here, uh, Ron, but um, uh, time is getting away from us. You're at the, the, the Footy Commission, or helping the Footy Commission get Fremantle uh, into the AFL. Um, how did that sit with you? Obviously, you've, you know, you've, got, you, you've already got a history with, uh, with West Coast. Um, you know, did, did, did you feel like you were flirting with the enemy at all? Well, look, uh, Jeff Ovens and Peter Tanning you know, were heading mm. up the Football Commission at the time, and they were pretty savvy people. Mm. Peter Tannock, uh, very clever man, as uh, as Jeff Hudson's is. Yeah. And uh, they wanted some of the experience in that area to yep. help, help put it all together. And uh, so I helped Jeff Hudson's and uh, others at the Footy Commission with the submission. Uh, but we ended up getting dudded by by the AFL again. Yep. There's a whole backstory to that. I'm sure. Because uh, we uh, got good draft selections in the 90, 95 draft, the first draft pick. But when the rules come out, anyone we, – we could select 12 players over two years who were uncontracted. Yeah. And so in the first year we selected seven. But then when the rules came out, uh, if you took someone from Essendon, they could get the pick of a 17-year-old. Mm. And so what ended up happening, we selected seven. So all these clubs got a pick of a 17-year-old before the 95 draft. Mm. And so uh, the full forward at uh, Essendon, what's his name, the famous full forward? Lloyd, yeah. Mm. He, he was the first choice for, mm. for uh, Essendon. Yep. And uh, we effectively got the eighth choice, which was Clive Waterhouse. Yeah, right. So we got dudded by the <laughs> AFL again. Western Australia's had a series of... I mean, that, that, yeah, that aside, and I'm sure Fremantle fans will be uh, nodding furiously uh, hearing that, although Clive is a bit of a club legend, isn't he, um, uh, in, in some sections of the fan base. Anyway, um, obviously, you know, I, 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 I don't mean to wade into the, uh, you know, the divide across Perth and Fremantle at the moment, uh, but it's just stating a fact. Frio hasn't had the on-field success that West Coast has. Uh, in your view, is there something where they've uh, gone wrong? Uh, in their time in the AFL, to, well, look, to, to not achieve you know something like the success that West Coast has had. Look, it's like in any business. If you select, you know, a good team, you know, mm. good good staff members, and you consistently do that, and you consistently yep. get it right, yep. um, you build a team. Now, everyone listening to this will nod the head and say, "I know that." If you get the basics right, yeah. But it's not always easy to get the basics right. Yeah. And selecting talent is is a, a very tricky business and you can yep. be right and you can be wrong. So mm. you can be clever after the fact and make comments, but it is difficult. But, yep. you know, West Coast have been good at selecting talent over the years and so recover after a grand final loss or whatever and, and do well. West Coast haven't been quite as good. Uh, Fremantle haven't been as quite as good. Yeah, okay. Just before we take a break, I want to ask you about uh, one of your other uh, programs that you've been a part of, uh, really trying to foster that inclusiveness that you can achieve uh, through sport. Um, particularly, you know, for, for uh, refugees and new arrivals uh, to this country. Um, what drew you towards sort of, you know, want to be a part of that sort of program? Look, in my deep, dark past, uh, I've been reasonably strident about what's fair and what's not fair and yep. been prepared to uh, 
um, tell people who are pushing in the queue to go to the back and uh, support people who have not been doing too well. I used to teach behavioural problem boys yep. at, uh, at Clontarf, so I've read case files and understand disadvantage and what really mm-hmm. happens in our community. So uh, um, at the Department of Sport and Recreation, it was a good chance to use sport to uh, uh, include people in our community. And whether it's countering violent extremism and including refugees uh, in our community or whether it's just people that uh, uh, are at the tough end of town or for mm. one reason or another have uh, fallen on hard times, uh, it's a good opportunity for them to mix with other people in the community yep. and also enjoy it and not be excluded. Yep. And a lot of the times there's people in our community that don't have a stake in the community. Yep. And when you don't have a stake in something, you're, you're more likely to uh, be to carefree or offend against it or... Mm. Um, when you've got opportunity and you're doing well yep. um, and you've got good colleagues, you're more likely to do well. So mm. trying to include people in that is uh, you know, what we all should be doing. It uh, segues us nicely into our next topic that I want to uh, talk to you about, uh, Ron. That is uh, uh, being part of the, uh, the, the, the campaign and the fights, uh, the scourge of methamphetamine, which, uh, as we know, uh, is a massive problem here in WA. Ron Alexander is our special guest. This is WA's Inspiring Stories on 882 6PR. Back with more in a moment. This is Inspiring Stories with Tim McMillan on 882 6PR. Brought to you by Barra and O'Day. This is Inspiring Stories with Tim McMillan on 882 6PR. Brought to you by Barra and O'Day. And Ron Alexander is our special guest uh, in this edition. Ron, it was, uh, if, correct me if I'm wrong, about two years ago that you became part of this uh, meth uh, task force? Yes, it was uh, middle of 2017. Uh, okay. Yeah. All right. So it, not quite yeah. two years. But uh, your, um, I suppose, introduction to, to, the, to the issue uh, goes back more than 10 years, doesn't it? Tell us about uh, uh, this man, Steve, that you uh, befriended. Uh, one day back in Leederville in 2006. Yes, uh, the Sport and Recreation offices are uh, in Vincent Street near near Oxford and uh, a couple of us were walking down to uh, to get some lunch and on the corner of Oxford and Vincent Street there was a fella, ironically, wearing a West Coast Eagles jumper. Yeah, right. And he was falling all over the footpath like a, like a bad drunk and I was a bit concerned he was going to fall on the road and get hit and... Mm. Sometimes being big is an advantage, so I uh, grabbed him by the back of the jumper and pulled him away from the road, and he was yelling and screaming that his mate had died the day before, and he was going to die, and he had to get somewhere or other by 12 o'clock, it was already 12.30, and I was able to get out of him, and he was wanting to go to the Serenian Centre, which is a drug rehab centre up on the right. corner of uh, Vincent Street and Fitzgerald Street. Yep. So I uh, I got him back to my, my car and got him in there and seatbelted him up, and took him up there and drove up on the curb and dropped him off uh, into the centre, took him inside. About six weeks later, he'd, he, uh, he'd come to our office. He'd, he'd recognised me as a, a person involved in footy, and he was, yep. a, he was a footy head, and uh, left his mobile number with uh, Judy Donald, my uh, um, assistant there. And uh, so I gave him a call and yep. then started catching up with him. And uh, <clears throat> he... Uh, he was a really good guy, really uh, smart what, guy. What was his, his situation then at the time? He'd got uh, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Mm-hmm. And uh, what had happened, uh, he then ended up getting hooked on um, morphine and, and other drugs. Yep. And so uh, he had a, an art background, a, a graphic designer, um, and he uh, he wasn't doing well. Mm. And so uh, 
he was into all sorts of mischief, and I started catching up with him on a uh, regular basis. Mm. And we put on an art show uh, at the Department of Sport and Recreation, and you learn all sorts of things. Uh, yep. Putting on an art show for someone, yeah. And uh, Marilyn and I were helping him with uh, you know buying canvas and and uh, that sort of thing. Yep. But he was a good guy. We'd loan him some money to pay his rent. Mm-hmm. He'd always he'd always pay it back. Mm-hmm. He, he was a, he was, a, he was a proud guy. Um, and we're actually. Uh, uh, on radio at one stage advertising this art show coming up to, to, to earn him some money. And uh, I got a call from uh, the uh, Public Sector Commissioner's Office to advise that you couldn't actually hold an art show <laughs> in uh, the Department of Sport and Recreation because there was a rule and people have got uh, studios where you can do that and it'd be government taking the business. And we were leasing the building from uh, the the city of Vincent. Yep. So I said to the woman who'd rung me, look... Uh, um, the Mayor, Nick Catania, and John Georgie, the CEO, are coming and they lease a building to us and you know, they've got a ticket. Would you like a ticket? And she said, oh, no, 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 that's okay, and went away. So we, we solved <laughs> that one. And then uh, we advertised it far and wide and we raised $12,000. Wow. Which um, kept him going for a while. Mm. And uh, then then he got a job and uh, then then he lost that job. He, he, he got injured. But he was a very decent fellow. Yeah. At one stage, he was working at the Blue Lorikeet Centre uh, helping schizophrenics yep. four days a week, and he'd volunteer the fifth day. So he was a proud guy. He was a smart guy, and, and Steve became a friend. Yep. And uh, he, he'd, he'd tell us about his experiences and why he got onto it and what happened with other people. And But he was uh, a, a very good man. And was that the first time you really uh, got... Uh, an understanding and an appreciation for the complexity uh, around drug abuse. I think people often sort of conform to this sort of cliche idea of, of who is a drug addict yeah. uh, these days because you kind of have a stereotype rammed at you all the time. But was this the first time you'd really, uh, you know, come to appreciate uh, the, the many reasons that people might fall pretty into that much, pattern? Pretty much getting that close to it because yeah. like the average citizen, you hear what's going on and yep. you hear some people talk, but... Uh, Steve's uh, older brother, when Steve was 12, his older brother, 14, um, died. Yep. His parents cocooned him. So he had some lack of resilience in, in there as well. And when he got uh, sad and, 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 and hooked on uh, on morphine and other drugs, mm. um, that's what a lot of people do. Mm. And a lot of people, when they're depressed or not feeling well or got marriage issues or financial issues. And, yep. Exactly, Tim. And, and so... Uh, they they then get reeled into the to that world. There's some risk takers, mm. mm. but so many of the people have got issues, mm. and the drug makes them feel better for a while. Mm. But then, of course, after a while, it's like anything that you overindulge on, it uh, it ends up chewing you up. Yeah. But but also, if there's early interventions, you know, a lot of people who start on meth, people think that if you you get on meth, you have one shot and you're gone for life. Well, that's not quite right. There's a lot of people that. Uh, uh, work very hard with their sons or daughters or friends or or neighbours and uh, get them out of it and get them on a on a good path. Mm. We hear about all the, the not so good stories, but yep. early intervention is really important. Uh, being part of Steve's recovery is that one of the things that kind of inspired you to to become part of this meth task force then uh, in the last couple of years. Well, look. I guess what inspires you, I think most, most people in the community are good people. Mm. And if they get the opportunity to give a hand, um, they do. And uh, the Premier, when he amalgamated apartments, um, um, I found myself uh, with a contract but without a department. And 
the Premier made a couple of offers of di- different things, and yep. I thought the, the meth side of things was a worthy thing to do. But also, I've had a very, very good uh, task force mm. um, to help, and I've learned a lot from them. Mm. Simon Lenton from Curtin University is an international expert on, uh, on, on drugs, professor there. Uh, professor Daniel Fadovich heads up emergency surgery at uh, uh, Royal, Perth Hosp- uh, Royal Perth Hospital. Colleen Haywood, Aboriginal woman, Professor Edith Cowan, runs an alcohol and uh, drug centre. Don Punch, who's the the member for Bunbury, uh, used to uh, be a uh, social worker himself and headed up the South West um, Development Commission. You know, so we had Michelle Fife, Assistant Commissioner of of, of Police. Yep. So we've had a really good group who we've learnt from each other. Mm. And, uh, you know, with these things, it's important to go and talk to people who have... uh, been on drugs, yep. you know, peer workers. They're really important to give you an insight into what really happens and what happens in prisons and what happens in rehab. And, but, you know, these people need support. Yeah. And, and often they're, they're people that are not doing well in our community, end up in prison, yep. um, and that's not a good place for their recovery. No. And yet you must find yourself, I'm, I'm guessing here, um, constantly meeting people who just want to, Get out the big stick. Treat this as a law and order issue. Um, and, and to be fair, it's it's intuitive to a lot of people, isn't it? You think, well, if there's a problem, catch the offender, discipline them, try to catch the dealer, get the drug off the street, job done. That's how you solve it. Yeah. Um, do you do you find yourself sort of bashing your head against a brick wall, trying to, uh, I suppose, uh, enlighten these people around the complexities of the issue? Well, a lot of people see, uh, and what gets reported is, you know, someone in meth does something bad. You exactly. Know, they they yep. break in. They rob. Yep, they they do something like a like an alcoholic does. Yep, you know an alcoholic punches and that someone or stuff does drives. Happen. Yeah, driving driving offences, and so these are, are people doing bad things, mm. and so they deserve punishment. And look, in the end, some of them do. Yeah, but but so many of them are are people that are, are unwell. Yep, um, and actually haven't offended. Um, they've just taken a drug that they shouldn't be, yeah. which yeah. they're self-medicating, and it makes them feel better for a while. Yeah. And so that's so with one drug you can abuse alcohol, and you don't go to prison. Some other drugs you abuse, and you do go to prison. Yeah. And prison is just not a successful place. What is it about regional WA? We have uh, consistently uh, the highest meth rates, uh, meth usage rates uh, in the country, in some people's measurements, uh, even in the world. What is it about those regional towns in, UW, in, in, in WA that just get paralysed by this uh, horrible drug? Well, part of it is, um, and people in regional areas will know this, just normal medical services, mm. it's harder to get specialists. Mm. Um, Kalgoorlie Regional Hospital hasn't been able yep. to get a psychiatrist for uh, for four years. It's The job's worth 500000 a year, and it's been done by fly-in, fly-out from Singapore. Yeah, um, Trying to get to services is, is hard mm. because you've got to – it's 100 k's away. Mm. Um, you don't want to go to the doctor because your family knows the doctor. Mm. So you've got all those sorts of less employment, so people have got more time on their hands. Mm. There's more poverty in regional Western Australia. So there's a, just whole, a perfect storm. whole range of reasons, mm. yes. Uh, we need to take a break, uh, Ron, but uh, just finishing up on that, it, it's an immense task that you've got uh, there uh, for you, you and your team. So best of luck with it. I want to talk about uh, a, a more triumphant thing after the break. Uh, we, we meet here today to chat uh, in the grounds of the uh, Optus Stadium, our bright and shiny new uh, uh, stadium here in Perth. Uh, and I want to talk about your role in uh, bringing that to fruition. Well, this is a great spot. The last <laughs> word on this is 
everyone in the community can help. Yeah. And everyone taking a positive attitude to mm. helping. And I can understand why people want to revile uh, myth addicts and some of that. But none of that helps. No. But people looking for ways where they can help, I think, can really yeah. make a huge difference. All right. Well said. Let's take a break. This is Inspiring Stories with Ron Alexander here on 882 6PR. Back with more soon. This is Inspiring Stories with Tim McMillan on 882 6PR. Brought to you by Barra and O'Day. This is Inspiring Stories with Tim McMillan on 882 6PR. Brought to you by Barra and O'Day. And our special guest uh, in this edition of Inspiring Stories is Ron Alexander. Uh, as I said at the opening, a man who has worn many, many hats over the years, uh, including uh, as a member of the Perth Stadium Steering Committee. Uh, we are uh, within the grounds of the Perth Stadium having this chat today, Ron. Is it with a sense of pride that you uh, stroll to the stadium these days? Yes, well, it uh, the result's been pretty good. It's, I, I uh, think most people would agree with that. I think <laughs> most people are enjoying it, and it's been a big exercise because yeah. it started. When way, did you start getting involved with this whole idea of a of a new stadium? Two thousand and five. Wow! Because uh, uh, WA Football were were looking at uh, redeveloping Subiaco, the the Wacker were looking at redeveloping the Wacker. Um, Aussie Rules wanted six hundred million from the state government to. Renovate Subi and the Wacker wanted four hundred and thirty million to uh, to renovate the Wacker. That's a that's a billion and thirty million and one ground to be a, a renovation and empty in winter. The other ground to be a renovation and empty in summer. Yeah. And so uh, talking with Bob Kachira from uh, the then Labor government, the sports minister, it was decided to put a task force together. So that was headed by uh, John Langlet and uh, I was deputy chair and we had a range of good people on there: Eric Lumsden and mm. and Gay McMath and. Uh, all these really good people, um, Richard Longley, um, who uh, come up with a view that we should have one good oval space mm-hmm. and one quality rectangular space. Mm. And then uh, that was agreed to by uh, uh, the Gallup and, and Carpenter government. And uh, we started off looking at, in fact, had $600 million in the budget yep. to uh, build something at, uh, at Subiaco Oval. Yeah. Until the GFC hit and yeah. the Liberal government got in and the $600 million went out of the budget. And then uh, when uh, finances stabilised a bit, um, it was decided to uh, to build it at uh, at Burswood. At Burswood. Uh, despite, uh, you know, until, uh, you know, not too long before construction started here, there was still a push by uh, the then opposition, wasn't there, to, to redevelop Serbia. It was, it was Labor Party policy um, going into not the uh, the 2017 election, obviously, but I think maybe the one before no, that. No, no, no. Labor, no. Labor had decided to build a new stadium yep. at Subiaco Oval. Yeah, sorry. And to, to, the, the way on, that, be, on that site. On, on that like. site. Yeah. It would be a new stadium. Yeah, yeah. But, um, but, yeah. A brand new stadium. Part of that, well, part that of, area. And part of that reasoning was, was valid because yeah. um, it's about $400 million more mm. to build it here. And there was transport already, and there was 360-degree access to Subi, so, and they already had an entertainment uh, centre there and all of that. So there were some very valid reasons for doing yeah. that. It's a bit like you can build your, your block uh, in suburbia or on the river or on the ocean front or whatever it might be. Yeah. But uh, the opportunity to build it here yeah. on a greenfield site yeah. uh, and in a design, build, finance and maintain mm. method really, uh, really... We ended up getting 14% more um, for the state's money. Yeah. So we've got a bigger, wider corridors, 
you know, the because the because the, 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 the dimensions are easier to work with here. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. And you've got better access. The the, the access has been uh, terrific with uh, with the bridge coming on stream, with uh, with the rail and the bus. Over ninety percent of people come in here. Uh, we've we've had. Uh, a fabulous steering committee. Uh, Richard Mann was my uh, co-chair. David Etherton from uh, from Venues West. Um, Richard May was, uh, was was terrific. Nick Egan, the state solicitor. We just had a, um, a fabulous group, and it was a design, build, finance, maintain. Yep. And so three consortiums um, put in of financiers, builders, and that. And uh, West Stadium won that. And Brookfield Multiplex have just been uh, brilliant builders. Absolutely fabulous. So. Mm. Uh, they were out here on site with all the government workers, and so good relationships were formed. And so uh, the stadium ended up costing to build nine hundred fifty-five million, mm. so cheaper than the the one billion and thirty million for for two renovations. That never happens coming in under budget. Well, it, it wasn't under budget, not under budget, it, it, but it was actually four percent over budget. Yeah, four percent over budget, which was a great result. Yeah, um, but nine hundred fifty-five million is the cost of building the stadium. How 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 soon will we outgrow it in its current capacity? No, we, look, we won't outgrow it because uh, you build stadiums, you build hotels, you build other things for average crowds. Mm. You don't build it for uh, an Eagles Dockers or for a final, uh, because what you end up with is when you have a game, you know, Fremantle or West Coast versus uh, Gold Coast or, or or the Bulldogs, you end up with a half-full stadium. But you still got to clean it. You've got to maintain it. You've got to do all those sorts of yeah. things. And so you'll find that 60,000, uh, a lot of people out there will be going, that's not true. We could have 100,000. It's not how it works with venues. You don't yeah. build uh, a movie theatre for uh, the Academy Award winning movie that, you know, a thousand people might like to come along to. I know it's, there's probably a really um, detailed and possibly tedious story to go with this, Ron. But uh, there was a lot of conjecture leading up to uh, the opening of this stadium about, you know, getting the tenants <laughs> in here and negotiations uh, with the footy commission uh, and whatnot. Can you give us like a, a an insight, but in a, in a fairly short and concise way? Because you could probably write a book on this. Uh, but, you know, there, there was talk, there were headlines where, you know, oh, it's possible the Eagles and Dockers might not even play it, which just seemed utterly ridiculous. But, um, you know, being close to the action as, as you were, um, what was it like? What was it like getting all of those stakeholders to, uh, to be on board here? Look, some of it was, was a bit nasty. Yeah. Um, became a bit personal along the way because, uh, you know, football wanted to retain and maintain its own ground at Subi. The WACA wanted to retain and maintain its own ground. Now, we, we all can understand that because since 1989, yep. um, football haven't had to answer to, to anyone. But the ground had become run down. Um, you know, people were, were looking for, for something more. And um, the task force's report to uh, uh, the Labor government yep. and then uh, the Liberal government had the advantage of that report as well. You know, it was clear that, you know, a, a new oval space uh, was warranted where you could play both uh, Aussie rules, uh, cricket... Mm rugby, um, soccer, uh, concerts, and all those sorts of things that, that, mm. that, that could be delivered. But you can understand people wanting to retain their own, but footy wanted a mm. $600 million from the state and Wacker wanted a big mm. uh, sum as well. So that was difficult, uh, but uh, we got there in the, in the end and the commercial negotiations were also difficult because bet. you know people want the keys to the Treasury and because you played football, I think they wanted to hand you the keys to the Treasury. 
But I think when all the numbers become apparent, uh, my understanding is that football is very happy and cricket are very happy and mm. they're certainly making more than they, they made at, uh, at, at Subiaco Oval. Yep. Um, the stadium, uh, uh, the Oval's about the right size at 165 by 130, which is very similar to the MCG and, uh, and Eddie had. Yep. So uh, uh, our teams have been uh, reasonably successful uh, interstate. So uh, all, all that helps. And I think everyone, in the end, it's been a... Uh, it's been a, a big box on yep. and uh, and difficult, but I think everyone's uh, pretty happy with the result. I know you've got your your hands full at the moment with your with your meth um, uh, task force, uh, Ron. But uh, you know, talked about the stadium. You've got your fingerprints really on so many stadiums, uh, sporting venues here in WA, haven't you? I'll just reel off a few: NIB Stadium, Rugby WA, the training and admin facility there, the State Basketball Centre, the State Athletics Centre, the Softball Centre upgrade, the State Netball Centre. Uh, the Waste High Performance Centre. What's what's left on your uh, list of goals, uh, well, look, professionally at well, least? Well, firstly, anyway. firstly, what we did was uh, we had a strategic plan. Yeah. We had a state sporting facilities plan. And so each year we'd do a feasibility study, we'd do a business case and put money into the forward estimates. Yep. So sport and recreation was well planned yep. and, and uh, well run. The state needs a 10-lane uh, uh, swimming venue because now if you want to hold a world championship or something, it has to be 10 lanes, not eight. We've got a nice one that's got eight, so that's uh, that's one of the things that are required. Yep. But we have uh, very, very good sporting facilities in uh, in this state yep. because over a period of 17 or 18 years, uh, the sport portfolio was, was well planned with yep. a series of good ministers and good support from, from uh, both colours of government. It's about time we name one of those after you, Ron. Oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I might pass on that. <laughs> we don't want to wait until you're dead, Ron. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, I hope that's. Uh, I hope the name comes a long time into the future. A long, long time. Yes. Well, look, it's good to still have things ahead of you, Ron. We have to keep you uh, on the job and still focused and working to get it, to get yes, it done. Well, I've just I've just left government, but uh, yeah. look, we've got great people. we've got great people in the west. Yes, and we're good at doing doers. Things, so let's get on with it. Absolutely. Uh, Ron, it's been great to hearing some of your stories. We could have talked forever, but thank you for sharing some, some of the stories with us this afternoon. Tim, thanks a lot. It was fun. Uh, Ron Alexander, you've been listening to Inspiring Stories here on 882 6PR. Everyone has a story to tell. Uh, this one brought to you, as always, by Bower and O'Day. We look forward to you joining us again next time as we unearth another WA Inspiring Story. Life's so full on. I've been working on this deck for ages. These steaks don't cook themselves, you know. Life's good with a Trex deck. Composite decking made from 95% recycled materials that won't rot, stain or fade. Trex, the world's number one decking brand.